Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Aussie Hoops Hour. My name's Cam Pittman and alongside me is Olga Nulic. And the preparation is over. The World Cup is right about here. Australia versus Finland coming up to open things up for the Boomers. We're going to break that down. We're going to look at everything we saw during the five warm-up games for this team as well. Uh, Olgs, before we get into that, we should absolutely mention what we've got coming up on ESPN because if you want to keep up with the FIBA World Cup and you want to keep up with the Boomers, ESPN is the place to do it. Every Boomers game live. You can catch every game of the tournament on the ESPN app as well. ESPN.com.au will be loaded with content from throughout the tournaments, with uh, stories and social pieces. So uh, this is going to be the place to be. And Olgs, uh, myself and you, will be uh, on the broadcast for this tournament as well. But you're going to have Andrew Gaze, Trevor Gleeson, uh, Beck Allen's going to be there, Nerily Meadows, John Casey's going to be on the call. So uh, I'm just really excited to get stuck into it. We've been talking about this for months now, the preparation for this Boomers team. Now we can actually get into the tournament. And as we record this, about 48 hours away, uh, anticipation as high as it could possibly be. And shout out to you, because one of the more enjoyable things, and, and I know I'm on the ground, I'm on the ground in Okinawa <laughs> right now, and it's very cool to be sort of like embedded with this team a little bit. Um, but watching you with that sports center, the big that big screen behind you, going through every little narrative, every storyline going through the plays and things like that, that's been very enjoyable to watch. So if you haven't already, go back and watch all of the, you know, the analysis that we've done in the lead up to this, all the interviews we've done with all these boomers plays in the lead up to this. Um, we have, Ken and I have done our best to prepare everyone as best as possible for this. Um, and so then we can, as soon as we dive into this, to the to the real stuff, everyone is prepared. We are all prepared. And, and it's basically just full steam ahead from there. Um, but yeah, I'm... I'm out here in, in Japan. It's very hot. It's humid. Uh, it's very enjoyable, though. They have us. It's basically everything's in. We're embedded in this place. It's called uh, the American Village. I think it's called the American Village. And it's just like a, it's like Hawaii almost. It's like a pretend town that's just been created here in Okinawa because it's like this was like this is a, a or it was a U.S. military base. There's like a, there's like a somewhat significant U.S. military presence here. So <laughs> that's where we're based out here. Um, and yeah, the boomers are, we're, we're right around the corner from, from tip off from, from the first game. It feels like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it certainly has. And even this warm up phase, cause you go back to the start of the month and I know it was only a few weeks ago, but with everything that's gone on since then, we were doing pre training camp, uh, podcasts as well. And to now get to this point and they've made the 12 official, absolutely zero surprises there. Once we knew that Jock Landau wasn't going to be there, they basically had 12 guys left over. So it wasn't a surprise, but they made this announcement official. But let's just start with a health check, though, because I think that we've seen positives from the Boomers as the warm-up games have progressed. Uh, but there's no question that the concern has been the health of this team. Jock Landau not there, as we all know by now. Uh, that is a big blow, and we can speak to what that means for this team moving into uh, the group stage games. But uh, Josh Green... Just unfortunately, just carrying a few little niggles. He's been banged up a little bit, missed the first couple of games with a an elbow issue, and then uh, missed the last game with an ankle. Basketball Australia did say that he's going to be good to go on Friday, but I know you spoke with him, Oggs. Yeah, he feels he feels good. I th I, there's a feel that he could have played that 
that warm-up game against Georgia, if that was a game of any significance, he could have suited up for that game. And so, and so I don't think anyone's treating this like it's anything significant. That was just a straight-up precautionary thing. Um, the other one is Chris Golding. And one of the funnier things was, uh, so the, the Georgia game was uh, unnaturally tough to follow. Uh, there was no stream. It was There was no box score. At the end, we basically just got Basketball Australia giving us uh, who scored how many points without context for those points. So that was, how, that was how difficult that was. But the Australian Boomers Instagram page did roll out videos and Chris Golding was wearing uh, two knee straps with basically knee pads on them. Uh, he had banged knees in that first warm-up game in Melbourne against Venezuela. And it was that was something that had hindered him and, and he hadn't played since. And so he was wearing just like straight up kneecaps going into this one. He looked like a looked like a BMX rider. He looked like a skateboarder. Um, he went in and hit a couple threes as well, though. So that for all those people questioning the significance of Chris Golding and why he's on this team, that's why he's on this team because he can go and be a, a flamethrower, flamethrower like that. Potentially win you a game or two. He's got that sort of talent. Um, but yeah, Josh Green will, will be good to go. Nick K has had a bunch of uh, knock to the head. He had stitches after that Rudy Gobert uh, elbow to the head, uh, but there are no, there's no concussion there, so he's okay to play. So after what has been like an up-and-down, injury-prone warm-up schedule, uh, and it's been really weird. It seems like every game, someone different went down. Outside of Jock Landau, who is obviously out for the entire World Cup, everyone else, the entire twelve, is healthy and ready to go versus Finland. And I'm not necessarily someone that looks at the the absolute number of warm-up games and says five warm-up games is too many leading into a major tournament. But I do think that certainly these last two games against France and Georgia, they can probably really put you in a good spot uh, for the tournament teams that uh, perhaps a little bit higher on the rankings and uh, South Sudan, obviously a team that we're pretty excited about watching and, and I think can cause some problems, particularly in the group stage. But that France game and the Georgia game feels like better build-up, even if we saw basically nothing of the game against Georgia. So the Boomers overall, they go 4-1 and one in these games. I don't think it was that much of a surprise that they lost that second game coming off the, the game against Venezuela, which was not competitive in the slightest. It was probably the first time they actually had to come up against a team that was going to be competitive with all these new players. So I, I think an interesting, and just following Brian Gorgian and, and watching the press conferences, you were in them, obviously, Olgs. I think it was pretty interesting early in the warm-up games, if we move to the rotation, that Gorge was pretty open about the fact that this is the eight. And it just makes me think about the 12 guys that we have in this squad right now. And we always look at who can play what role and these guys can come in and we're debating the last spot in the roster. And then unless it's someone like it's what we with Jock Landau, where you've got two seven footers. And the question is, are you taking a backup five? Ultimately, we have to remind ourselves that in tournaments like this, you're not playing 12 guys. And there are going to be guys that aren't playing uh, most of these nights. I think Gordon did a pretty good job, and he spoke about it, of getting everyone minutes so they're actually prepared. But I like the fact that he wasn't shying away from, hey, we're going to have an eight-man rotation, maybe nine guys. This is how tournament basketball rolls out. Yeah, and this, is, and this isn't just the Boomers historically. This is every team going yeah. into any significant tournament or any playoff run historically. It's just what happens. So just for everyone out there, do not, do, do not be surprised if Dyson Daniels doesn't play a minute this tournament, right? Just don't be surprised if that's the case. He may get, in the same way that Josh Green got some spot minutes during Tokyo and looked yep. impressive in stretches, don't be surprised if that's Dyson Daniels where he gets absolute spot minutes. Don't be surprised if Chris Golding gets a DNP one game 
because maybe maybe there's a sense that he might not be able to handle the physicality or the, the athleticism that's on the floor. Some games just might not be games that are suited for a guy like Chris Golding, potentially for a guy like a Jack White. But like this this roster is is going to be constrained. Uh, that rotation will be constrained when it comes to really important games because we're at a point now where you're playing with fire, as in th- there is urgency with every game uh, because, for example, you don't want to get to that second group phase and have and have lost a game in that first group phase because those because those carry over. You then w- don't want to go through a tournament as maybe the second team getting to the quarterfinal, and then you have to play the teams that are on the the firsts of the bracket on the other end, right? You don't want to be part of that, and so every game is extremely urgent, and so that's how that's how it's going to be treated. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Josh Giddy, Patty Mills, uh, let's say like a Matisse Thybul, and maybe a Josh Green play upwards of 25, 30 minutes a game. These are probably the things that we're going to see uh, going to this tournament. And then the other thing, and it's something that we've been sort of, we've been speaking about over the course of our coverage of this, is that starting lineup. I, I do not expect to see any sort of fixed lineup when it comes to who's starting for this team. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Matisse Thybul starting against Finland because they want to work Josh Green back into things. It wouldn't surprise me if and you brought this up a few weeks ago, but Joe Ingles coming off the bench for this tournament. He's been coming off the bench for the entire warm-up series. It, it would not surprise me if they just continue that trend. Um, and then that four spot, you know, it's been Nick Kay the entire time, but it wouldn't surprise us if they pick a four-man based on the matchup. And so that's another thing that everyone should be really cognizant of. I don't think any starting lineup is, is fixed, uh, even if they perform extremely well. I think it'll be based on matchup, circumstances, things like that. I love that you went to lineups because that's what I wanted to get to here as well. And ultimately, who starts the game really doesn't matter all that much. But you are going to have stretches through games where you're going to have to go small. They're they're not going to be able to avoid that at this point in time. So you reference the fact that Josh Green did not play a lot in Tokyo. Uh, Dwight Reith didn't either. Three minutes per game, only a couple of appearances. Now I think you're looking at a situation where Dwight Reith is going to have to play more than 20 minutes per game. If you base it on what Jock Landau was able to do in Tokyo, he played 21 minutes per game. They were able to cover that because sneakily Nick Kay played 28 minutes per game and a lot of those minutes were at the five because he's an elite rebounder and a pretty versatile defender. So I think that for Dwap Reith, between 20 to 23 minutes is where he's going to fall. But that leaves you around 17 minutes with whatever, quote-unquote small ball, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So Nick Kay is going to have to spend some time at the five. Gorgian has spoken openly and seems pretty into the idea of Xavier Cooks playing some minutes at the five there as well. Uh, but the defensive lineup, Oggs, and we've seen little flashes of it, but the idea of maybe having a Xavier Cooks with a Josh Green and a Matisse Dybul and maybe Dante Exxon fits in there and you're looking like you may be a little bit limited offensively, so that's where they'll have to be careful. But certainly defensively, those lineups are going to be absolutely destructive. Matisse Thibel has been a wrecking ball already. Two blocks against South Sudan, four steals in 19 minutes against France. This guy is out of control. And I think defensively, this team is going to be able to generate a lot of offense. Yeah, so I think that the cool thing that Brian Gordon's done is I don't think he's overreacted to the idea of losing Jock Landau. Um, there's, there's, there's the push from a portion of the general public that's been a why hasn't Thon Maker been added back to the group? Why haven't they considered bringing Keanu Pinder into the group? Th- these things are just not viable um, from firstly a logistic standpoint. And then also the standpoint of just 
there's a reason why they weren't picked on the team in the first place. Um, so I think everyone has to recognize that as well. But with that small ball unit, I think they've just lent into what what works, which is basically these are the guys that we have and let's lean the hell into those skill sets. And so Xavier Cooks is a small ball five on both ends of the floor can be really, really elite if you pair him with someone like a Jack White, which they've been doing. And Jack White has really, really good timing defensively. Uh, his rotations are on point. He's super athletic. That's a lineup that's worked. And then what you lose on the other end, the lineup that we saw at the at the end of the third quarter of that France game had Giddy in that lineup and it had Exum in that lineup. And I think that makes up for a lot of what you're missing on the offensive end when it's just, if you're just putting on your like defensive beasts, if you're just putting Cooks and White and Thibault and just hoping it works with, with Joe Ingles out there as a creator, it's generally, it, it maybe won't work, but that lineup had Giddy and Ingles and Exum and White and Cooks. And so you have those pieces offensively. You have the shooting of Joe Ingles, the shooting of Dante Exum, the creation of Josh Kitty and Xavier Cooks. And then you have this this kind of switch everything lineup defensively. And and that was the lineup that I think got them back into that game against France. And it's one that it wouldn't surprise me if Brian Gorgian continues to lean into it. Let's talk about the offense a little bit. You know, I know I've certainly been flagging it from a fair way out that it's just something to watch because with all these young stars yep. that are just coming in and these NBA players, uh, they're still developing as offensive players and oftentimes uh, developing as outside shooters. That's We've seen that over the last couple of years. We've been talking about it with a lot of these guys and I think they're clearly on the upward trajectory as well. So I think they're making positive strides, but we should look at this tournament and say, this is for a lot of these guys, their first time together. Now, what is fascinating to me is where that leaves Patty Mills and Joe Ingles in terms of integrating with these guys and just simply not playing the role that they're used to playing with the boomers. Now, is that beneficial for this tournament? I think it remains to be seen. I think we're going to have to see how this plays out over the next few games because like, ultimately, we hope, and he's done it before, so I am the last person that's going to doubt this man, Paddy Mills, and what he can do in the green and gold. But to this point in the warm-up games, uh, hasn't shot the ball well at all. And and based on that uh, basketball Australia, those little drip feed notes that we got from the Georgia game, I think he had six points in that game. I'm not sure how many minutes he played yeah. there, but he really hasn't had a breakout game yet. The, through the first four games, he was 12 for 51. Um, Joe Ingles hasn't probably had the ball in his hands as much as he has in the past. He's knocked down a couple of threes. So these two guys are still so important to me with what they can do from the outside as shooters, but they're, they're guys that usually have the ball in their hands. And now you are playing with a Josh Giddy, who's a super high usage guy who's going to have the ball. And Gorgian referenced it in these warm-up games where he said, guys, we're just dribbling the ball too much. You need to get the ball moving. You need to get more, more guys involved. So it, it's just, it's a little bit of a concern because there's no room for error anymore. Friday night, you've got Finland. You do not want to lose that game because that puts you in serious, serious danger of absolute disaster. So the offensive stuff just continues to be a watch. Yeah, uh, for this the, every game, it just seems as though this team doesn't really know where their shots are coming from. You can tell that they're, they're getting good looks and the processes are there for them to uh, to get the exact looks they want or, or the get the advantages that they want. But they just they don't know when to execute. Things seem like a half, like a split second late, and and that might just be repetitions with a ball dominant guard like Giddy. Um, but Brian Gorgian also mentioned in in one of his press conferences during that warm up during those warm up games that those veteran guys. So when we look at like a Mills and an Ingles, they know that the best chance of this team succeeding is to lean into Giddy. Um, 
they know that if if they don't lean into Giddy, then then their their ceiling is way lower, right? Um, and if that means some teething with Patty and Giddy working together and figuring out how best they work together, then the hope is that that teething finishes uh, with that Georgia game and and, and then things kick yeah. off against Finland when yeah when, when things matter. Um, but but I think they know that. Let's say let's say Paris is the ultimate goal, and they and they're not thinking like this, and they shouldn't sure. be thinking like this. But there is but there is an element that is okay. We need to work toward that. In getting those two on the same page is probably priority number one because I really don't see a point. I, I don't I don't see this as a, a situation where Patty's all of a sudden going to be benched or going to be thrown to the back of the rotation. That's not going to happen. That's not happening right now. Right, he's thirty five, but he he is still very capable. Obviously. And so the the best chance forward is for those two to work together. We've shown that we, we've seen signs of it working. We've also seen signs of it not clicking. Um, you trust in the, the IQ of both guys respectively to to make it happen. Uh, you trust in Giddy's creation and, and distribution, and you you trust in Paddy's shot making and and historical context in FIBA ball and his his ability to play at that level. So far, we haven't seen it on any consistent basis. So it is a concern going into a tournament where things need to be clicking. Um, but I don't think it's it's cause for abandonment yet. Oh, of course not. Definitely would not suggest that. But I think it's more just making sure that the idea that these guys can just come together and do it straight away, it, it just doesn't generally work like that. And so I'm not surprised that we are where we are here. And uh, we've spoken about Paddy Mills a little bit. He didn't play as much as what he's been used to last year in the NBA. I'm sure there's some form of rust there for him as well. And for Giddy, I would just be optimistic because he's been so open about the fact and we've seen him uh, work through some of the teething problems playing alongside uh, SGA, Shai Gildas-Alexander. So he has had to figure out, okay, I'm not always going to have the ball as well. And he's clearly still been super impactful uh, with OKC. So I think it's something that can work, but this is just part of tournament play. You, you don't have any room to move now. If we were sitting back and saying, well, Boomers have got a 25-game regular season, I'd be feeling pretty comfortable. But when it comes to, in my mind, a must-win game against Finland on Friday night, it does make you sit up on your seat just a little bit. So we may as well talk about this game and and feel free to expand this to the group in general. Maybe I'm, I don't know what it is, but I, I am a little concerned just based on, again, the timing, a few of the injuries that they had there. Did they have enough time to get the optimal lineups out there? What is actually the impact of Jock Landau? And I think when you come up against Finland straight up, a team that really there's one guy that can can rip it away from you, and that's uh, Larry Markinen, who we saw uh, at Eurobasket go absolutely berserk, 28 points per game. Only Giannis scored more than him, and he really shot such a high percentage of the field goal attempts for this team. And other than that, the rest of this Finland team was basically shooting threes. So players that weren't named Larry Markinen. They shot 21 two-point field goal attempts per game and 26 threes. So they are launching from the perimeter. And when it's a 40-minute game and you've got one guy that can go berserk and then shooters all around the floor, it's dangerous. So I know that I've read a lot of stuff that the Boomers are the clear favorites and they should get through this group easily. I'm just saying this is a dangerous first game. Yeah, I think this whole time we've pointed to this Finland game as a dangerous game. And then any potential second group phase game against Slovenia just because those guys are really really good yeah. um and Larry Markin and if, if we're pointing at guys in this tournament who can just go and win their team a game 
uh, obviously outside the Team USA um, situation, just because they're super deep. But like you're you're pointing to Larry Markkinen, you're pointing to Luka Doncic, you may be pointing to like a Carl Towns, these sorts of guys. But Markkinen is absolutely on that list. He's an he's an All Star. He had an unbelievably good NBA season, and he's that sort of guy who, as soon as he puts on that finished jersey, he steps up to a completely different level. He's able to take over. Um, the the obvious question is is the depth there for that team. Um, like are the pieces around him good enough to be sustainable over the course of a of a forty minute game? You and and the answer is the answer is like yes, Australia is favored and should be favored to win that game. And I think it it's all going to come down to what they do defensively. Um, I imagine it's going to be Nick K stuck on Larry Markinen like glue, uh, and then basically everyone else just kind of steps into their role, and then. I think it's that second unit. It's the one that we're, I think we're going to keep talking about throughout this tournament. It's that small ball unit. It's the one that has Matisse Thybul in it as this kind of havoc creator who is just going to come out there and just win the game defensively off his back because he's playing out there with some guys who maybe aren't as, as seasoned or maybe aren't as talented as the rest of the guys on the floor. That's like the simplistic way to look at this matchup. Uh, that The fact that it's Lowry, Mark, and, and a bunch of other guys. Um, but that relative to this Australia team, that sort of is what it is. You can look at like a Sasu Salin, who is really, who is a talented point guard. Like he is, he's someone who will make shots. Uh, he will make an impact. But when you compare him to like a Dante Exum, and then not just Dante Exum, but all the other guys on the Boomers uh-huh. team that are around that level, the, the, the talent on the Boomers just, just supersedes what Finland has across the board. So it's interesting that you mentioned Nick Kay, because ultimately... And Andrew Bogut said this with the Slovenia game. He said at times that you can really lock down on one guy and it makes it a little bit easier. Just like shut down this guy and you can win the game. I think that's the case. If the Boomers can hold Larry Markkinen to, let's say, at under 20 points, I think yeah. they're in an absolutely superb position. So the defensive matchup is interesting because if you look at his positional stuff from the NBA last year, he's so unique. He's a genuine seven-footer but he played 45% of his minutes at the three and then 50% of his minutes at the four. He really spent no time at the five. So you've said Nick Kay. I don't necessarily think you're wrong, but because he's a seven-footer that spends time on the perimeter, but he's athletic, he can get to the rim as well. He's just got a really unique skill set. We're going to see more and more of this in modern basketball. It's like, yeah, seven-footer on the perimeter. What's the problem? We all can do this. But I think that you know, the yeah. idea of could it be Josh Green that spends time on him on the perimeter? Yes, he's going to be able to get his shot could off. But Green's going to be in front of him. Thibel, exactly. And you know who else? Xavier Cooks, just for that actual explosive True. athleticism as well. So I think that the Boomers have options. But if you're watching this game on Friday night on ESPN, feel free on the defensive end to just stay glued to Larry Markkinen and see how they're defending him. I think you'll see multiple bodies. And I think they have a number of options. They might not have the actual height but I think the athleticism is just as important. Yeah, I, I watched a few Finland games on the flight in. Um, I was on a red eye and I didn't sleep. This is why <laughs> Lovely. I, I, may be, I may look a little bit more tired than uh, I usually am. Uh, but I watched a few Finland games and Larry Markkinen looked like he played almost exclusively at the four. There was always a five man on the floor with him because um, yep. I think they like to play that like inside out sort of game. And, and, Markinen seems to prefer attacking from the perimeter. That seems to be where he enjoys to 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 find his advantage. Enjoys finding his advantages, um, and so that's why I, I agree. It, that's why I don't think it won't. It just won't be a Nick K or a Xavier Cooks. It could be those perimeter guys. Um, but then I do think it'll largely just be 
a, a team defense situation. I think that that France game is a really good indicator of the way this team can guard big guys who they want to throw multiple bodies at. They can throw they can throw a bunch of bodies at a guy. They can double team down either on the catch or on the bounce, and then they can rotate. I think there's trust in in the, the systems that these guys have to be able to defend as a team um, and not be sort of disadvantaged too much when they double down and things like that. Um, I, I think that's something that we're going to see a lot of. It wouldn't surprise me if Brian Gordon throws an extra body at Larry Markner to get it out of his hands, um, just because the idea of just getting beaten by him uh, is probably one of the, the scariest things in this tournament outside of just Luca doing that. And uh, and if if and probably when Australia plays Slovenia in the, in the second group phase, I imagine it'll be the same tactics. Yeah, well, we have seen that. And that was obviously when uh, Pliable came into the starting lineup going back uh, in Tokyo as well. And uh, it worked out pretty well for the Boomers, we'll say that. But I think it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, they do have the defensive athletes to recover if they're sending double teams, get back out to the shooters on the perimeter. We've seen it time and time again, whether it's Thibault, Green can do it. We've even seen Josh Giddy do it with big blocks into the third or fourth row as well. So they have the guys that can recover defensively and overall a pretty high IQ lineup on that end of the floor. But that's going to be the staple for this team. There's no doubt. Now, if I had to ask you uh, one other thing, perhaps that we haven't discussed and Feel free to take it wherever. Is there anything else that you're interested in, that you're excited about, that you've just had the curiosity spike after the last couple of weeks? Um, One thing that has been brought up to me by a few people uh, is what Josh Giddy's been able to do defensively. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've taken him, we, we've seen him take a, a big step up defensively. Uh, and that's everything from his rotations being on point, to him staying in front of guys, to him... Um, looking a lot stronger, uh, getting getting a hand up to shots quicker than he previously would. I feel like we have seen legitimate growth from Giddy defensively over the past two seasons, um, and he, and he's looked elite. He's looked like one of their elite defenders almost through every warm up game so far. And so it would be cool to see him continue following that trajectory. And I think that's what's what makes him conducive in those small ball lineups too, where you can switch everything. There's no mismatch there. Um, Outside of that, what do I like? Um, I don't know. If you have something, you go ahead and let me have a think on that. Just on Kitty, just quickly. He, he's he got the size. Mm. He's got the athleticism. Yeah. He's got the long arms. He should be a good defender. And I think that, you know, you play for this Boomers team, uh, FIBA court, FIBA court uh, a little bit smaller. So, yeah, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting that that he's been locked in, as you referenced. And yeah, we'll see how it, how it translates down the line. But um, he's got all the tools. So if he becomes sort of that that uh, you know plus defender alongside with all these other elite guys, I mean that is something to get seriously seriously excited about moving forward. I think the big one we just haven't touched on it a lot is just going to be Dwight Berth, and you know, I'm excited to see him with mm-hmm. this opportunity. So again, my first reaction when Jock Landau gets uh, ruled out from this tournament is this sucks, and on the personal level for Jock, and you just feel for him. And then like Brian Gorton has to, and this team has to, you got to say, okay, well, what have we got? And so for Dwight Reith, he was awesome uh, in the NBL a couple of years ago. He's put up massive numbers in China and elsewhere overseas over the last sort of 12 months. And now uh, coming off Portland Trailblazers Summer League, where he just played his role at a very, very high level, he's going to come here and he's going to be asked to do the same thing. I think we can't take too much from the Venezuela game, but 
Dort Reith can roll to the basket. He's improved as a finisher in that area as well. We saw that in that game. Significant size advantage, but I think it was a nice start. And I am excited to see how he can grasp this opportunity because on a personal level, and I know no one wants to talk about this, particularly in the Boomers camp because it's, it's about the team. But personally, if he just plays his role, hits the glass, is able to finish around the basket, knock down the odd three or, or here or there, um, this could be a big couple of weeks for Dewalt. I mean, it happened with Jock Landale. He yep. he literally did this, right? He was thrust yep. into the starting lineup and he looked like an NBA player and mm-hmm. his career blossomed from there. Um, I will say another thing, and it's just sort of on me, you talking about Duop Reith and, and his style of play. The the Xavier Cooks Duop Reith minutes, I, I haven't dug into the numbers. I like those minutes because it, it reminds me a lot of Xavier Cooks and Jarrell Martin playing for the mm. Sydney Kings. Where Dua Breathe has like a really cool level of mobility. He's got that versatility because he can stretch it. He can finish well around the rim and he's a sneaky good athlete. Um, like that dunk on Rudy Gobert. Like it, I, I didn't, I never considered Dua Breathe an amazing athlete. He was always just solid to me. But that dunk was really legitimate. I didn't know that Dua Breathe could do that. Um, and so I like those minutes with Xavier Cooks and Dua Breathe out there because you have like the creation and like dynamic, like advantage creating of Xavier Cooks with the vers- versatile skill set of Dua Breath. I like those two playing together. And then Xavier Cooks is one who I think he's going to continue to get minutes. And I think that's by necessity at this point. Um, and I think the more minutes he gets, the more comfortable he'll get. And I think his ceiling is as high as anyone, um, almost anyone on this team, to the point where as if this team is able to progress further with Xavier Cooks playing a legitimate role, I think this team gets better and better because of that. Because the more comfortable Xavier Cooks gets, the more versatility you have defensively, um, where you have someone who I think can be an elite defender when you're playing that small ball lineup with him at the five, but also his creation on the other end. The thing that I constantly heard through camp was that Xavier Cooks is obviously going to be on this team because so much of what they do goes through yeah. the four man and I and, and or, or through basically Xavier Cooks. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of pitching it to him and then him creating off dribble handoffs or, or or kind of like fake dribble handoffs and finding cutters and things like that. I think the more comfortable he gets, I think that the higher the ceiling for this Boomers team is. Yeah, and it's going to be helpful because we've seen it uh, with the Kings the last few years. His ability to facilitate kind of fits in with what we've seen with Boomers bigs in the past, even if, again, we keep mentioning it, but from the height, it's not the traditional Andrew Bogut, Aaron Baines, and even Jock Landau who can who can pass the ball uh, really nicely as well, because that not, might not be a strength necessarily of Duop Reith. He's a little bit of a different player to Jock Landau, but I just think that some of the skill set crossover um, should should still work okay. So I'm pretty optimistic about Duop Reith, and I'm excited for him about what he can do in this tournament. But I'm glad you mentioned Xavier Cooks, because those are the two guys that can really announce themselves to the world, that there might be a lot of basketball fans that don't know yes. a lot about those two guys. They know about Giddy, Mills, Ingles, all those guys, Thibel, they know about them, but they might not know about those two guys. And uh, that's exciting for me to see them get their opportunity. In particular, Xavier Cooks, who's been battling away for so long with health problems and missed out in 2019. Now he's here and it looks like he's going to play uh, a big role. Oggs, should you get some sleep? What do we think? We, we need to put you to bed. Get some rest, my friend. Yeah, it's it's been like <laughs> nearly 40 hours. Nice. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. Look, I mean, I'm not complaining. I mean, Okinawa, weather's been weather was it's been a day, but the weather's great. Um, I'm hopefully gonna be able to like bring a ton of cool content everyone's way. Yep. Basically, just kind of show everyone where the boomers are, what they're doing, 
et cetera, et cetera, that sort of thing. But yeah, I need some sleep. Get some rest. Uh, my day uh, just getting underway here and uh, we're going to continue to uh, build up the FIFA World Cup and we should say specifically 5.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. You need to be on the couch. Knock off work early if you need to. It's the weekend. Get settled in. FIFA World Cup live uh, from 5.30 leading you into a 6 p.m. Friday night tip-off. It could not be a more perfect time for a game of uh, basketball with the Boomers opening up their World Cup. I already mentioned uh, Andrew Gaze, Trevor Gleeson, uh, Beck Allen's going to be there, Narrowly Meadows, John Casey on the call. Uh, you'll see myself and Oggs as well. So we're all excited. We can't wait. We're going to have the whole broadcast of the game and then an extended post-game show as well on ESPN. And this is going to be the format for every single Boomers game throughout the tournament. So let's face it, ESPN, your home for hoops. The only place if you want to keep up with the FIBA World Cup, Oggs, it just makes sense. I'm excited. I'm excited. I've, 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 I covered 2019 World Cup and the vibes are already a little bit better than that. And so that was the fourth place finish. For the Boomers' sake, fingers crossed, they can go one better. We love it. Ogs, I'm going to catch you after the Boomers game, and we'll do this right throughout the World Cup. As long as the Boomers are still going, we're going to have podcasts in between each game. So make sure, if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to this podcast feed, the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. A little bit of a, a change of name there, but we like it. We feel comfortable about it. So make sure you're not confused. Subscribe. You'll be able to listen to myself <laughs> and Ogs every single podcast throughout the FIBA World Cup. And it's not going to stop there. The NBA is not too far away. The schedule's out. Let's face it, basketball, we're not having a break for another 10 months, Olgs. I mean, until the end of Paris, I'm expecting just to be working all the way through. All right. Get yourself to bed. Everyone else, get yourself geared up after listening to this podcast. Like I said, 5.30 p.m. Friday night on ESPN. <laughs> we'll see you all then.